It looks like we're live here. So, um, you're listening to the, I guess, the inaugural episode of the of MiseryTourism.com's Misery Gaming Podcast. <laughs> uh, if you're in this feed, hoping for the new episode of our Misery Movies podcast, you're not in this feed looking for. Nobody listened to that podcast. You're not in here looking for that. So, uh, but if you are, I'm sorry. This one's going to be about RPGs. Uh, so. Today, we wanted to talk about the 200-word RPG contest, the 2018 200-word RPG contest. And we were lucky enough to get all three of the um, contest winners to join us today for a little conversation. Um, First of all, we have Misery Tourism's own Rudy Johnson. Rudy? Hi. A.K.A. E. coli, I guess. (laughs) Since that's what you, the name you submitted your game under. Uh, we also have Allie, who submitted the game Sidewalkia. Hey, guys. Allie, I'm sorry. I didn't want to butcher your last name. Hey, here. no worries. Uh, it's Grower. Allie Grower. Grower. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we also have Will here. Um, is it Coin? Coin. Yeah. Coin. Okay, <laughs> great. Nice that one's you. not too bad. And Will is responsible for the game Dear Elizabeth. So what I was thinking was we'd start out here. Um, we'd kind of go round robin around. There's not an actual table here since we're in Google Hangouts. But we'd kind of go around um, in a circle here and sort of have and talk about each game, each individual winner with the person who submitted that entry. And maybe I'll, I'll ask you a few questions if you want to ask each other a few Uh, questions about your games that will be great and that'll take up probably the first half an hour or so of the show and then the second half an hour each of us has brought some of our favorite games our favorite and 200 word rpg entries to discuss and i think that might be a cool opportunity to maybe highlight some of the games that didn't get as much attention in the contest so um Rudy, actually, I think I'm going to put you in the hot seat first, since uh, <laughs> since <laughs> you're kind of um, since we know each other first of all, and since you're used to being subjected to my nonsense, I'll you know let them <laughs> kind of get a sense of what's going to happen from here right. on out. Um, so, Rudy, the game you submitted is hashtag, and the hashtag is very important, right? <laughs> hashtag yep. winter into spring. Do you want to talk a first of all? Just in case we have listeners who don't know what the game is about, do you want to maybe give me a brief synopsis of the game? I know the game is pretty brief to begin with since it's a 200-word RPG, but uh, see if you can describe it in less than 200 words. That might be a challenge. Mm, uh, uh, Well, sure. Um, Well, it's a game about uh, fashion uh, with with revolutionary overtones. Um, It's actually a game where you play video vloggers, uh, fashionistas who uh, are doing their vlogging during a political, some political upheaval, I guess, in a fictional country. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's basically a game where you cut from magazines, you cut things from magazines uh, and use those things as your character. 
Um, and then you wind up cutting from the magazine again to make fashion fashionable implements out of uh, pictures, real pictures from magazines. Uh, so it's kind of like a dress-up game, I guess. Yeah, it's so like a paper doll game with, yeah. uh, with improvised paper dolls and improvised dresses as well. Uh, yeah. All set during a revolution, during a significant um, kind of, as you said, political upheaval, right? Mm-hmm. So you have... Sorry to jump in here, but basically there are phases to the game, right? There's a pre-revolutionary phase to the game, and then there's a post-revolutionary phase. And you also kind of fashion changes from changes after the revolution, excuse me. And there's some, um, yeah, there's some um, reflection, I guess, on why that has occurred. Yeah, um, as you uh, basically, as you as the game progresses, you uh, you cut out more and more things from the magazine, and the magazine shrink and get smaller. Um, and as you do this, the fashion changes as a result because the magazines there's less and less to cut out. And each season, you discard things that you cut out already. So you wind up with uh, some really weird fashion choices, I guess, yeah. as a result of the shrinking of the magazines. Right, even maybe like post-fashion choices. I mean, you yeah, say like, in the in the text of the game, right? Run out of shoes, use feet. <laughs> yeah, so well, even, no more clothes, wear flesh. Oh, okay. I think it was an earlier draft draft where you said yeah. something like run out of shoes, wear feet. But either way, the idea is, and I mean, there's a morbid undertone there, right? The idea that right. not only is the revolution consuming culture, but it's consuming lives as well. Right. So I want to ask you, easy question here, what kind of inspired you to make this game? Like, what made you decide, I want to do a game about fashion blag- bl- <laughs> about fashion blo- vloggers, excuse me, mm. and, um, like, revolutionary turmoil? And, I mean, where did you even find, like, the intersection of those two things? Because in the game, they overlap, like, really, like, intuitively and really like brilliantly i think uh but i want to know how the hell you got there you know uh well it came from a kind of weird idea i had about uh, at first um i thought about some of the fashion from some of the dictatorships i guess of the past uh like you know the third reich i guess nazi fashion and you know how people were kind of obsessed with the memorabilia and stuff from that period is you know, some people wear that as you know, costuming or that kind of thing, even today, you know, and there's real controversy around some of that. Um, and uh, so I, it started kind of as like a authoritarian fashion game, I guess, a, a game about fashion in an authoritarian state. And then it kind of evolved into this uh, because I actually got stuck kind of on the, um, when I was trying to figure out a name for it, I was thinking of the, um, the Arab Spring, Right. I guess, and I sort of uh, stumbled. I was been I was been looking through fashion tags, hashtags on uh, YouTube, and uh, just looking around the fashion scene and culture on YouTube, and I stumbled upon uh, like winter into spring, which I guess is winter transitions. Uh, they're clothes that can transition from winter into spring wear, basically. Oh, huh. So things you wear in, things you wear in between the seasons. You know, as it gets warmer, or as it gets whatever. That's a pretty big hashtag on Twitter and also on, I guess, YouTube. I've seen more of it on YouTube, actually. 
So that kind of the name, like a lot of things I do, the name kind of preceded a lot of the rest of it. So and kind of dictated, no pun intended, intended what right. happened next, right? Uh, right. And, I mean, and of course the name has the ob- obvious like revolutionary implications too. Like the idea that, oh, we're leaving this period of, from the revolutionary's perspective, we're leaving this period of political darkness, you know, a sort of political winter and entering a political spring. And if, sure. whether the game shares that point of view or not, I wonder, but um, hmm. yeah. That's... Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's definitely all in the name, I think, for me. <laughs> for a lot, of, a lot so, of things I do. So personally, in the back of my head, I've been calling this the We Take Manhattan game. If you've ever, <laughs> if any of you have heard that uh, Leonard Cohen song, which is basically another game about kind of um, leftist revolutionaries who are obsessed with fashion more than with actual like, you know, with then their like political. Um, goals you know or where fashion actually to them becomes a kind of political goal so that that's that definitely was the first thing that popped into my head when i thought saw this game for the first time i'm like oh this is we take manhattan but playable (laughs) and with paper dolls (laughs) and i i thought that was pretty cool can you maybe talk about the paper doll mechanic a little bit i don't want to dwell on any one game um super duper long uh because I do want to get everyone's game in here, and I do want to have a little bit of time to talk about uh, games we liked as well. Uh, but if you could talk maybe about the paper doll mechanic and what inspired that, and how you see that like working in play. Okay, so um, to start with, you get two magazines, right? And um, these can be any magazines. They don't specifically. I made it so that they don't have to be fashion magazines. They don't. Um, they just have to be. There, there is an expectation, I guess, that you depict human characters, but right. that isn't even necessarily a thing that you have to do either. Um, although I guess depicting sentient characters would be kind of a requirement. But So you get the magazines and you cut out, each player cuts out body parts that they want to use for their, uh, their paper doll. And uh, they glue them down to a piece of paper. Um, and you can be creative. You can do pretty much whatever you want with the initial paper doll. Uh, there's no, there's not really even any requirement that you um, make it so that the clothes are the same size. Although that kind of is going to be important, you know, like as in like you, you don't necessarily have to have the clothes from the magazine fit. Oh, although, okay. fit the doll. Yeah, although that um, that gets into one of the mechanics that I'll discuss a little bit later, which is the critique thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you go through and uh, you do the first season, uh, but before before you actually start off this, the role-playing stuff, you go through and you spend six minutes cutting pictures of clothing, accessories, hairstyles, whatever you can think of as far as fashionable stuff from the magazines. And then you, you'll you use those during the two uh, main phases of the game to dress your characters up. Now, um, one thing about that is that uh, you're going to have a disparity of... Well, you're you're going to have a... a a diversity, I guess, a different character body types and different, mm-hmm. you know, somebody sure. might be, 
you know, some some of them may mesh better with the clothes that are available in the magazine. Right. And not only like the normal kind of disparity in human body types in terms of like you may have some slimmer people, some people are, who are a little larger, but you may literally have a paper doll who's one paper doll who's the size of your thumb because of where you right. cut it out in the magazine and another one who is a full page model. And who, <laughs> so you have that right. kind of like tremendous disparity, you know, in terms of scale, right. too. And that's where the critique mechanic comes in. And uh, I wanted to highlight that just because, I mean, I think the rest of the mechanics in the game, people can kind of parse out from just reading it. Mm -hmm. But the critique mechanic, um, and I spent a lot of time just going back and forth on where or not to include this or how to include it. But um, basically, um, you're, each player is basically critiquing um, and, and, and whatever that means to them. I mean, they're commenting on how the character is dressed, right? I mean, that's the main thing mm -hmm. in the game. But for the, with the critique mechanic, they're going to be commenting specifically on how the clothes fit your character's paper doll. So they're mm -hmm. commenting directly on your choices you've made as a player um, as far as how you aesthetically want to present your character, right? So let's say you have somebody who's very small, like you mentioned, um, like who's like a paper doll. It's literally the size of your thumb, and you've got a a fashion magazine that doesn't really have. It's got a lot of full size pictures and you know things that don't where you can't necessarily get clothing that fits your character. Sure. Um, you're gonna have well, you're gonna have a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things that happen, I guess, from that. One of them being that the character, you know that. That it's going to emerge in vlogging that basically that character, you know, doesn't really have the right size clothes to wear. They don't really have anything to wear. They may not have the diversity of choices mm -hmm. that the other characters have for clothing. And it's going to, when I play tested a little bit, it naturally seems to happen to, uh, to somebody. It doesn't always happen to every character, but it happens there. There's naturally, it seems like just because of the way uh, the dimensions sure. of magazines and stuff are, it happens to some people who've like picked really small pictures or really large pictures. Sure. They don't really absolutely. have a lot of clothes to wear. So it winds up being kind of, I guess, I don't want to say a statement about, you know, about them, but I mean, it, it winds up reflecting on how their character, how they portray their character. Well, and that's what I kind of wanted to ask you about. Now the critique mechanic, how does that, um, how do you see that complementing the kind of political subtext or the political satire of the game? Like, because one of the things I really like about this game mm -hmm. is how much like direct one-to-one -one there is from like what's happening superficially on the surface, you know, in the world of, world of these fashion vloggers. And then mm -hmm. the parallel thing that's happening in the politics of the world, if that makes any sense. Like, right. The mechanics always like any me any mechanical moment in this game seems to be simultaneously both a fashion moment and a political moment. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, how it fits into the the statement or you know the political stuff of the game, I guess what you have is I mean you got a statement about body type and that kind of stuff, right? I mean on the surface. Mm -hmm. um, and how I guess certain fashion trends tend to be accommodating towards certain body types and all of that, everything you got that in the background, right? You know, all of the things we know from real life, 
fashion right. and the the scenes and stuff that revolve around that. But I think that as you uh, as you play the game, um, things are going to get a lot weirder and a lot think like the fashion choices are going to get weird pretty fast just as you run out of magazine space. So as things devolve, I think um, I think you'll find that the statement really becomes one of like, well, this is basically just chaos, right? I mean, yeah, right, right. Like, People are like, wearing ears. For right, they're wearing or something. They're, you know, they might be wearing somebody's foot, or they might be wearing skin, human flesh, you know, whatever. Right. So, um, I mean, you and might superficially they're out there talking about, oh, like <laughs> this is yeah. like, don't you like my coat? And it's like, it's, it's like, like, oh, that's a human torso. Like, so right. the, the the violence of the revolution is like both foregrounded and backgrounded at the same time. Like it's backgrounded in the what in their discussion like in what they're saying and how they're behaving but it's literally foregrounded because it's taped over their their body their paper doll right and to answer your question a little bit more i think basically what i'm trying to say is the critique will become more uh more ludicrous basically as it as time goes on as the game progresses gotcha Great. Well, I want to give Allie and Will a chance to ask you if they have any questions about your game or anything they want to, like, if they want to harass you about your game in any way. Sure. Uh, give them a chance. Yeah, harass, please. <laughs> I actually did have a couple of questions. Um, I'm interested because uh, the judges' comments for your game did mention that, like, fashion is a huge international industry. Mm -hmm. um, it affects so many people especially people who don't realize that they're being affected by that industry. Yeah. Um, and as someone who previously worked in retail uh, with a fashion emphasis uh, and no longer does, I'm curious what connection you had to that prior to that. Like, was that, was the fashion industry something that you were aware of or involved in in any way, or was it just something that struck you as it might be a cool game to connect with that revolutionary aspect. Because like you were talking about, um, you know, aesthetic and clothing being super prevalent, uh, for example, uh, during like World War II and like the, mm. the visual cues that people were giving off with their fashion choices. Um, yeah. And that's true of any period in history, but that's a really specific example. I'm curious, like, um, I, like I see exactly where you got the idea for the game from or mm. where that was pulled from real life, real history. But I'm curious mm. for you, like as the game designer, where did that come up? Was that something you'd always kind of considered or did it just hit you one day? Oh my gosh, no one's ever done this before. I wonder what would happen. Um, Actually it was kind of, uh, it was kind of that. It was kind of basically, I haven't really seen a game like this before. So I want to try to try to try my hand at making one. Um, I, I really have no connection to the fashion industry. I probably, <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> no, you, you barely have a connection to clothes from my experience. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably one of those people. I have basically like, you know, just basics as far as clothes. Um, you, you would probably say my fashion sense is really, really awful and bad um, or just non-existent. Um, what about I have primal? A, primal is a good word. Primal, primal might be a word for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in like the Far Cry primal sense or whatever, you know, like man type of... <laughs> But no, um, like me personally, I haven't really, I've watched a lot of uh, videos on fashion and I'm kind of interested in it from like a, 
I guess like a hobbyist, not like I wouldn't wear most of the things that I'm that I've seen in these videos, but I'm really interested in how sure. that kind of stuff, how someone could frame like an identity or that kind of thing around some mm -hmm. of these types of fashions and clothes. So when I watched the videos, I, I was, it was running through my mind, like, well, how do I make it so that, how do I make a mechanic that can show, you know, the individuality of that, but still be, you know, and still allow people some, a lot of agency and stuff as far as making their characters. Cause that is where I think it intersects with RPGs and that, you know, a lot of times with any character that you design, you're putting a lot of yourself into it. You're putting a lot of uh, work into the design to make it unique, to make it personal. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of that in fashion industry, and I thought immediately, well, that's what I can make the game out of. Mm -hmm. Does that really kind of cool. answer? Yeah, it does. It does. I just like, I remember being, it was one of the first ones I read when the finalists came out. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, holy crap. Not only has no one ever done this before, but it makes perfect sense to me. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, like I said, I used to work in retail. I, I spent a couple of years working in um, like an upscale resale shop. So like oh, people would bring yeah. in gently used high end designer items. And so oh, like I a had a consignment shop or kind of kind okay. of um, we did some consignment, but it was like I had to be trained on what was in, what was not, what labels oh. were in, what labels were not. And like even yeah. some brands change the label in their clothes from season to season. So you can tell how old something is just by looking at it. Um, mm -hmm. And the value obviously goes down if it's older, sure. but if it's newer, the value goes up because people want what's in, you know? Right. And so I went through this really interesting period where that was all I thought about for like, you know, two years. Um, and I was, I would be riding the train in Chicago and I'd be eyeballing people's handbags from 50 paces <laughs> going, that's a fake. That's a fake. Right. Right. <laughs> um, it was like yeah. this weird fashion Sherlock Holmes period of my life. Um, <laughs> so when you, when your game was posted, I was like, dang, this makes so much sense. And also you didn't just make it something that was like a commentary on vloggers or how silly clothing is as an industry. You made it something sociopolitical because it is, right. it always has been. And I think that's something that we like to forget conveniently that, um, yeah. that aesthetic and what's being preached to us from the companies and the corporations as fashionable or beautiful or whatever, that that changes it's fickle it's constantly changing and we don't even realize what's being dictated to us i'm constantly reminded of that speech in the devil wears prada where meryl streep's yeah. character reams her out over the color blue um and yeah. and why you know how many people were involved in deciding for you that you would wear that dumpy blue sweater six seasons too long you know that kind of thing i don't know i just think it's really fascinating and i think you really hit a very specific nail on the head with this game and i just was very impressed by it yeah absolutely that is basically what you just said was pretty much my immediate reaction to rudy's game as well i was just shocked by how intuitive it felt in retrospect yeah like you take two things that seem very um very separate from each other right like like the superficiality of fashion and the like just the passionate obsession people have with politics and and the and, and you know a casual observer says oh you know fashion doesn't really accept people's lives and politics is so important but i think that in reality there's so much of that so much super, super 
there's so much superficiality in politics and there's so much like depth in fashion, like misunderstood or incompletely understood depth to what's happening in the fashion industry. And to see those two things come together the way Rudy put them together, like I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like this, Rudy was going through a period where he, Rudy, how many games did you design for this contest? Uh, six. <laughs> you designed six. And he would bounce them off of me. And he, all of the designs were really great, I thought. But when he, he presented this one to me, I was like, oh, my God. Like, it really just, like, felt like – sometimes you'll see this, and, and I, I'm sorry to be – like, this must be really awkward, Rudy, to have someone gushing over your work. And I, I'm yeah, gonna, just going to say one thing, just going to say one thing, and then I won't do it, and I'll stop. But, like, there's this thing you see especially, like – you see it in art, you see it in fiction, you see it especially in poetry, where you read something and you've never read it before, you've never experienced it before, but after you've experienced it, it feels like, oh, of course that needed to exist. Like almost like that willed itself into existence because it just seems so intuitively perfect. And that was kind of my how I felt about this game, but I'll, I'll stop on that. Will, do you have anything to, to <laughs> ask Rudy about um, his just... game? It's less something um, asking uh, about the game more. I just want to throw a spotlight on two of the mechanics that I thought were the best in the game that you didn't even mention, which was oh. <laughs> is, um, uh, when you um, uh, make your cutouts and then before the, um, uh, the first section where you start uh, vlogging, you flip over one of your cutouts and pick one of the words on the reverse side and mm -hmm. these are hashtags that are trending at that time. And I love that. It, yeah. I thought that was a really good um, mechanic to include, just because obviously the thing on the back of a, a cutout, you know, it could be anything. You know, it could be yeah. it could be an article, it could be an advert. You, you know, they could be talking about like you know incontinent slips or something, and you can <laughs> make those into <laughs> hashtags. And it's mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was really amazing um, as a as a thing going. Yeah, I, that could that can really make sort of game uh, be, you know, different each time that you play and, you know, force you to think on your feet a bit. Yeah, um, I, I love inspirational mechanics like that. Games that make you take something and through the game, like through the narrative of the game, transform it into something else. You know, that, that mm -hmm. I think like a lot of the greatest moments in play that I can think of have come from games that have forced me to do that. Like take these words or take this idea and then funnel it through the narrative of the game. And then the other mechanic was just the order of the way you structure the game. So you, you divide people into the majority faction and the minority faction. Uh, so, you know, the, the people who who are in and the people who are on the the edge, the, the sort of the radical subculture. And so obviously when it comes to taking um, the cutouts from magazines, you know, majority takes first, you know, that's their privilege. But then right, when right. it comes to doing the vlogging, uh, the minority goes first. You know, they set the, the tone mm -hmm. of the discussion there. Yeah. Uh, they have the jump on the majority faction. And I, I think you get so much flavor on what you're trying to go for in the game just by those, those really small sort of ways you've structured the whole game 
as a whole. Yeah, because mm -hmm. the minority, of course, are always going to they're always going to be, as you said, they're going to be on the losing end in terms of resources, but they're always going to be on the bleeding edge in terms of um, subcultural and kind of like I, like like artistic capital almost. Like they're going to be mm -hmm. where the majority are looking for like what culture they're going to burgle basically <laughs> what they're going to take um rudy yeah any any thoughts on uh, just just real quick i don't want to take up too much time but um basically just respond to what william had said that a lot of that is because um i guess i think of this as a world building game first uh somewhat that's somewhat important uh one of the thing one of the goals i had for the game was to do a unique style world building um where basically you build on the fly and respond responding to other players and like you mentioned the major the, the way the majority and the minority factions work um you know how one the main minority kind of sets the scene you know to establish each period that was kind of why i did that i but yeah I, a lot of the stuff that i do is world building based i, I love world building but i wanted one of the goals I had for this was to make a game where you could world build on the fly without having to really discuss things out of character first. Right. I guess that's one of the things that I wanted to hit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Because world building can be kind of this intrusive thing. If it happens at the beginning of the game, it can be homework. It can feel like homework basically. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Uh, Rudy, I, does anyone else have anything to ask Rudy? I mean, I think we could talk about any of these three games, yeah, probably for an entire <laughs> hour. But I do want to. I do know people have um, people have other things to do, so I would like to maybe um, move on to Allie's game if that's okay with everyone. Sure. Great. So, Allie, can you kind of give us a less than two hundred word version of? <laughs> Yeah, so Sidewalkia is uh, kind of a an odd duck. Um, it is a it's it is borderline on LARP, so it is live action. Mm -hmm. It is intended to be played out in the real world um, using real life architecture and landmarks and things like that. But I mean, it doesn't specify in the rules that you can't play it on a map that you've drawn or in a room. You could play it inside, I guess. Um, it's intended to be played uh, with a couple of players to start with um, out on a square of sidewalk somewhere in a public space, usually like a park or um, an area uh, in a town maybe that isn't full of direct foot traffic, but has a lot of like nearby foot traffic is mm -hmm. ideal. Um, so we don't want you to be in the way of other people necessarily, <laughs> right. but you want to, you want other people to be able to see what you're doing and come to you. Um, the main goal of the game is to get other players to join you on the sidewalk, um, which sounds pretty simple, but when, when people are out in public shouting, singing, chanting, jumping up and down, having a good time without an obvious reason, it sometimes can dissuade people from coming over to you and finding out what it is that you're excited about, which I think is part of the fun. Um, the idea is that you stand on a square of sidewalk somewhere. Um, you shout, I claim this land in the name of Sidewalkia. And uh, you begin playing make-believe with whoever you're playing with in the sidewalk square that this is a new country. It's called Sidewalkia. Uh, you are in charge of different things within that country's government. And the regular real-life landmarks around you, uh, buildings, trash cans, 
mailboxes, whatever, um, are the 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 local landmarks of Sidewalkia. And you can rename them. You can decide what your roles are in the government. Um, have fun dreaming up exactly who you are and what you're doing. And then the goal for the game is for you to find ways to get other people to join you inside that square of sidewalk. Um, people may stop nearby you and marvel and gawk, uh, or they might walk right through your square and disrupt you, which causes a natural disaster. Um, right. Or uh, that was a nice like Sim City touch. <laughs> yeah. Or or they may say, you know what? Yeah, why not? I'll come join Sidewalkia, and they may join you on the square. And if they officially join you on the square, you celebrate raucously. Um, once your population gets larger than a certain number, you can expand to the next square on the sidewalk. And so it's kind of built in such a way that it um, it can go on as long as you wanted to, really. Like, you could keep playing until you've adopted that whole block of sidewalk. Right. Or you can play until you've got three squares and call it good. Because three squares is pretty challenging, especially depending on how much foot traffic is nearby or, you right. know, and what, how, what the weather situation is outside, that kind uh, of thing. Yeah. Sure. And how outgoing the people are and how yeah. naturally willing they mm -hmm. are to engage in this kind of uh, flash mobby sort of scenario. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to start off by asking you the same question I asked Rudy. What inspired this game? So the true story is that uh, one time I was lined up very early in the morning for an event. Um, and uh, due to it being very early in the morning and hours and hours before the event was supposed to open, um, I was on the same square of sidewalk for a good portion of the day, not moving. And at some point, you know, even if you do have friends with you, you kind of get punchy and like yeah. squirrely and <laughs> sure. you got to do something to pass the time, especially when your phone battery's dead. Right. Um, and uh, also it was very cold that day. So we were constantly like jumping up and down and shuffling our feet and like trying to figure out how to keep it together. Um, and uh, we, I had gone to uh, Walgreens and purchased a uh, like a $2 knit hat to keep my head warm because I didn't have one with me. Um, and we were joking about it being a shitty beanie. Um, and then it sort of morphed into us doing voices and accents and things. And <laughs> and then it turned into the square of sidewalk was called Shitty Beania and it was a country. Uh -huh. um, and we all had... Uh, very bad New Zealand accents. And we talked about how many sheep Shitty Beania had and uh, how how we had annexed that grove of trees over there from our neighboring islands. And it's like just weird stuff, right? right? right. Just yeah. fun, make believe with your friends. Right, right. No, it's mm -hmm. funny you mentioned that because that's exactly, I saw this game as a kind of like, almost like a proto RPG, like a, like thinking, like a lot of times in art is I'm going to take this back to modern art again, but in modern art, there was like this movement to be like, okay, this has gotten really Baroque, you know, mm -hmm. and this has gotten mm -hmm. really complicated. And yeah, it, it there's all like this representational art that's highly, finely, meticulously detailed, but fuck it. Like how would cavemen have drawn this? And <laughs> like, and I say that to say this, which is that this feels like a game, an RPG that could have come out of a pre RPG state. Like so many people are designing RPGs like 
the cliche is like, oh, they're trying to fix Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah. Or they, or they had a yeah. bad game of Vampire the Masquerade, and ever since they've been like, I'm gonna fix Vampire the Masquerade. And but this feels like a game that goes back to that state before you even were familiar with all the RPG baggage. And it's like, what's the most like pure childlike version of an RPG? And that's yeah. what really drew me to this. It really did feel like a game that. Like, I guess it was. It was a game that just evolved naturally with friends doing funny voices, mm -hmm. which is really, like, to me anyway, like, the purest essence of an RPG. Like, everything but the funny voices can get fucked sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, no, that that's great. I, I did want to ask you, before I open this up to Rudy and Will, I did want to ask you one question, though, because in some ways, like, superficially this is um a pretty upbeat like um pleasant game to play but mm -hmm. from a certain perspective this is a really transgressive rpg from a mechanical perspective because there are a lot of people like within the rpg community who are very puritanical about the hard firm line that exists yeah. between a role-playing game and what's happening out in reality. And very puritanical also about the idea that everyone in the game should know they're in the game. Yeah. And should have agreed to the ground rules of the game beforehand. And I can see where they're coming from, but I really like the way that this blows that to hell. And is really like going out in the world and bringing your RPG with you. So I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um... It's something that I am really passionate about is um, people saying yes to things that they want to say yes to and having fun. Um, right. I have, I'm, I'm a performer and I have a lot of experience with immersive theater. So if, you know, LARPy type events, uh, Renaissance fairs, things where there is a large scale amount of make-believe and suspension of disbelief um, and one of my favorite things in life is when a grown adult says yes the way they would as a child. Yeah. Um, when when adult actors interact with Muppets, that's that <laughs> thing. You know what I mean? Sure, when, sure. When, or even if it's not a, a Muppet, maybe if it maybe it's just a sock puppet, but somebody is is handling uh, a conversation with that puppet like they're a person and they have their own life and their own story, and that says yes in in a big way. Um, I also am really passionate about people agreeing collectively to be silly and irreverent mm. and let let each other feel good about that irreverence i do not stand for like public pranking and like oh, yeah. um anything mm. that like brings other people down without them knowing that they're being brought down like anything that's like mean spirited right like the sasha baron cohen stuff i just can't i'm too sensitive i'm gonna be the first to say it i'm too sensitive for that i can't stand it but you know if we all agree to be silly if we all agree to jump up and down on a sidewalk square if we all agree to sit down and roll dice and pretend that we're rangers and paladins then yeah yes to that you know what i mean right, um right. so like that was really important to me but i also wanted something that would make people smile even if they didn't play even if they, did, even if they didn't play and say yes like so if they're just walking by on the street yeah yeah like ideally even if 
somebody is on the other side of the street. They're too far away to really hear what's going on, but they see this big group of people laughing and having a good time. Maybe they're singing a song. Maybe they've made flags. I don't know. That's funny to me. And that, that would make me smile, you know, even if I didn't know what was going on. And right. I think, um, you know, in its purest form, it's like, if you can, that's why like people like flash mobs. You mentioned flash mobs mm. earlier. That's why people like those flash mob surprise proposal videos and like surprise flash mob uh, for Christmas with like Christmas magic as a, as a theme. People like that because it brings that childlike surprise and wonder and joy back into a very mundane situation or a very mundane moment. Um, and it can it can really affect people. Like yeah. even if you don't know them, even if you're not involved directly, maybe they go home and they're like, "Oh my gosh, I saw the coolest, weirdest flash mob I've ever seen today." Right. I, I wonder what they were up to. You know, that yeah. was really cool. That really made my day. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you really hit the nail on the head there because I think that's one of the great things about RPGs is their ability to basically give people permission to be children again or yeah. permission to be like dumb teenagers again or whatever. Yeah. Like and I think that a lot of games um, through their rules tamper that instinct. And I think that's tragic. <laughs> like, I think it's really sad when a game um, does everything it can to prevent the people playing it from being silly or being childish. Yeah. Um, but I don't want to, I want to give Rudy and Will a chance to uh, ask some questions here. So, uh, Rudy. Um, well, first of all, I just wanted to say this game, when I first saw this, this really stood out to me because of the reasons that uh, you guys have already talked about, which is basically the childlike, uh, you know, wonder and stuff, bringing that back into RPGs. And that is one of the things that I try to do with my games and I feel is really something not enough people really do, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like the thing you said about the Muppet, uh, that that to me, that really captures the essence of, I think, what an RPG should be, right? You know, it's like somebody says something really silly and you respond to that just kind of naturally. Yeah. You know, not, you know, not really kind of this... Um, you know, not this super serious type of treatment of games or RPGs. Um, but I was just wondering, um, like, do you, as far as where this would be played, do you see this as, uh, as like a convention game, maybe working as something like that? Because I know um, in a lot of the discussions about the games, I don't know if you've been on the Reddit. I have. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. They, they talk <laughs> about a lot about the, you know, the issues with, people um you know on just random randos on the street and stuff mm -hmm. which i personally don't think would be that much of an issue i mean at least not i think every i think everybody like you guys have kind of hinted at has that potential to just be playful and be you know in 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 good spirits you know and mm -hmm. and i think this is a type of game that would make somebody you know more likely to do that and to be that way but as far as like where it would be played like do you think how, how do you think, what do you think the difference is between people at like a convention playing it and people like just playing it with random people on the sidewalk? What do you think the difference is between those two would be? Um, that's a good question. I, when I wrote it as it is now, I wanted very much for it to be 
not ambiguous, but open enough mm. to be played by anybody. I wanted mm. it to be good for adults. I wanted it to be good for um, children. I wanted it to be good for people of different learning abilities. I wanted it to mm. be good for people of different um, abilities of all kinds. Like I wanted it to be accessible to as many people as possible. And I don't know yeah. how well I accomplished that. It's my first time doing this kind of thing, but um, it, it, you mentioned the Reddit uh, and some of the discussion that's been going on um, mm -hmm. and some of, dare I say, backlash that's been going on. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and Sidewalkia happens to have been that hot button, I guess, mm -hmm. uh, that I didn't expect. I mean, first of all, I didn't expect to win. Um, I'm thrilled that I won I, because it means that, you know, the judges and the, the readers who were involved saw that potential that I wanted them to see. And I'm, I'm thrilled. Mm -hmm. I'm really, really, really happy about that. Um, but some of that discussion that's been going on has been, uh, like you said, very much about tamping down on that instinct to play and to say yes yeah. to things and to tr be silly and to look silly and to do things uh, in that way and in, in, in a public forum. And that's not really an RPG, is it? Um, yeah. And I think, yeah. oh my god! I think, <laughs> like, <laughs> without without getting too much into that that Reddit rabbit hole, um, mm -hmm. I I think the thing that amazed me the most about those responses um, that really shook me to my core were that none of those people considered that it might be for kids. None yeah. of those people considered yeah. that it might be for people who. Um, maybe they're dyslexic and they have problems with the number crunching in D and D, um, or the reading that goes into preparing. Listen, for another so, I, I'm, I'm so sorry to interrupt you here, but I am 34 years old. I am college educated, and I cannot do the math in RPG. I, it's, it's, I, mean, I, I don't want to. It's yeah. It's <laughs> shitty. It's the worst fucking thing about. Or, I'm sorry. It <laughs> it's is the worst part. <laughs> it's the least fun part of D and D is the math. Um, yeah. but it, it just shook me that of all of their arguments that they had, um, that none of them stopped to consider that it wasn't for that and it wasn't for, I guess, them necessarily. Um, mm -hmm. and that's really what made me sad was that, that people were like, this isn't how RPGs are supposed to be played because that's not what we want. And I said, I'm sitting here going, well, if that's not what you want, then don't play. But like. Yeah. But also, like, someone else is going to play this. Like, I want to play this with my niece when she's old enough. Um, and I, I didn't intend for it to be one weirdo going out into a public space and standing on the yeah. sidewalk and a, trying to acquire 20 other strangers. I intended it for it to be started by one player and right. have them be surrounded by their friends who are yeah. already agreeing to play the game with them. Right. Because I right. think, um, I mean, I guess people interpreted it the other way and and thought well no one's going to join me on the sidewalk i'm just a weirdo standing on the sidewalk doing nothing um but if you play if you go out there with your friends and say let's go make someone's day yeah you yeah. would be so surprised at what people will say yes to if yeah. you are coming from a place of earnestness and you want them to play with you not you want to mm -hmm. trick them not you want to fool them or make them look stupid um on tv or whatever but like you want them to say yes. You want them to play. And if if you're coming from that place of inclusion, um, you'll be so surprised what people will say yes to. Yeah. I just want to take this moment to, to 
offer, <laughs> make an open offer to the residents of the 200 word RPG Reddit. If you want to come on here and yell at me, we will have you on here. We'll do another episode. You can come on here and yell about me at me about like what is or isn't an RPG. But personally, I think that distinction, God, I think it's so dumb. I think it's the stupidest distinction. I mean, imagine if like, Imagine if any other art form, or even some of these people will say, oh, well, role-playing games are in an art form. Okay, but imagine if other kinds of games had stopped at, like, their most, like, arbitrary primordial form. Like, imagine if, like, people were saying, oh, well, I don't really want to play Grand Theft Auto V because it doesn't really capture mm -hmm. the magic of Pong. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. like, I, don't, I don't really want to play Breath of the Wild because there aren't you know, enough rules I had a, in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had a great experience with Pac-Man, and I can't like, I how am I gonna like? Where's the? I can't eat the ghosts. What like? Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think a lot of the growth of both games and art is understanding that the earliest versions, and I know this almost contradicts what I was saying before about primordial states and stuff, but recognizing that like some of the earliest versions of things are kind of bad. And like that there's things that like the only way to improve on them is through experimentation. And I think what is the point of design if you're not going to experiment? What's the point right. of, especially something like a 200 word RPG, mm -hmm. like where it's, there's going to be like a thousand of them and it's not going to be the thing that you, you eat off of, you know, it's not going to be your life's work. It's one 200 word RPG. This is your opportunity to push the boundaries of what an RPG is. And it's yeah. like, oh, but I really want to do something with 2d6 and some stats. I know. Anyway, Will, did you have a question for Ali? I mean, again, more of a more of a comment. I I was reading through the you know the finalists and the, the submitted list, uh, and you get some, and you think, oh, yeah, that's that's interesting, but but who's actually going to sit down and and play this? Yeah, you, you sure. know, it's an interesting mm -hmm. idea, but but you know, you know, are people actually going to take their time to play this? Whereas with this, when I read it. I knew exactly who was going to play it. I, I could just picture, um, you know, people at college or university, you know, it's a sunny day, they're out, you know, on campus, and they're going to play Sidewalkia. I, I can see people are going to go out and play this, um, you know, with friends. And, yeah, I, I think, yeah, I, I just, just want to say it, it feels like a game of all the games that I've seen on, on the 200-word RPG that's, is actually going to get play and so you know it, the whole you know is it an rpg is it not an rpg you know i mean you you say quite clearly in it that um one player is now the prime minister i mean uh, unless you're actually giving them a, a legal title I, I think they're taking on a, on a role there so that sounds like a role RPG. right <laughs> yeah. um but yeah i i think uh, of all uh, the games i've read you know even including mine i think people are going to play this this game and you know that's that's a win yeah thank you yeah absolutely so um it's six o'clock here so i want to move on to will's game um yes please i want to talk about will's game yes okay great so will less than 200 words pitch your 200 word rpg okay so it's a game for two players 
uh, you take on the role of a heroine in a Regency, sort of Jane Austen type novel. Uh, you sit in separate rooms. Uh, you are sort of distant from each other for some reason that you decide. Uh, and then you start writing letters to each other and you, you have a series of prompts. Uh, and then you play through four seasons of the year, each writing each other a letter and essentially trying to build up this shared story of these two people who, who used to be very close and now are not anymore. Uh, and then they're going through, you know, the sort of things that you'd have in a, in a Jane Austen novel. Uh, you know, they, they might be having scandal or courtship or marriages or, or you know, deaths and inheritance and, you know, all, all those things that are tropes in those sort of books. Right. So I'm going to ask you the same question I asked everyone else. What inspired this game? So I love period drama. I love it so much. Uh, you, you know, yes. dress people up yes. in silly clothes yes. and, and I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. I stuck with Downton Abbey through the, you know, through the period when it wasn't a good show anymore. Dang, basically. I quit Downton Abbey and then came back years later. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I got through the first two, two series, two, two and a half series of Downton Abbey. But yeah, like. That's the um, essential Downton Abbey. After, anything after the end of season two yep. or three, eh, you know, it's still there's still charming, like witty dialogue and you know, adorable like. Except for Edith. Oh uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but anyway. anyway, more about your game, less about Downton Abbey. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that's the inspiration. Um, like I don't read as as much as I ought to, perhaps, but you know I'm. You know, I've read Austin, I've read Bronte. It's, it, I was reading um, uh, George Eliot at the time and, and being like, ooh, ooh, it's it's all drama. And yeah, I, I sort of came out of last year's, um, reading last year's 200 word uh, RPG winners. Um, and it sort of just popped into my head, this idea. And sort of just sort of festered there for, or not festered, that's really a negative word, but it, it sort of, <laughs> It sort of grew there for, for the whole rest of the year. and slowly died there in a really melodramatic way. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and and then I, I was I was trying to decide what, what I was going to write about this year because um, I missed the deadline last year. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, um, oh, what, what I'm going to write about this year? I had a couple of ideas, um, but then I thought, no, I'll, I'll go with the one that that I thought about originally. Great. So I'm going, my one question for you is, uh, there's a lot I could ask about with this game, but I really want to ask about the fact that you included a solo variant. And I thought that was such a great touch where you write letters and then you never retreat, and then you never receive a reply. And then like your letters change accordingly. Like, oh, how are you? <laughs> like, what happened to you? Like that in some ways almost seems to have maybe not more potential for drama than the uh, two-player version of the game, but I just really enjoyed the fact that you included that solo variant because I like the idea of like a one-sided epistol epistolary, excuse me, like novel or a one-sided epistolary game. Uh, so could you like talk a little bit about why you decided to include the solo variant and, you know, I mean, you will not believe how close I was to cutting that out for extra really? words. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So uh, cool. And yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that, that I left it in because everyone seems to have really, really loved it as, a, as an idea. Um, 
And I thought about pulling it in in the first place because um, A, I wanted to sort of have a go at playing my own RPG um, and didn't necessarily think I had anyone nearby that, that you know, would, would play that with me uh, at the time. But also just more generally, um, you know, you have solo RPG experiences on computer games, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a solo RPG in a sort of um, pen and paper, um, sort of analog type experience before. So, yeah, um, uh, you know, that, that was what inspired that. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I want to, I don't want to speed things up too much, but I do know Ali needs to leave in like 10 minutes. So I want to give Ali the first crack at asking you a question. <laughs> Okay, I love this game. I love this game. Um, I I love period drama. I love um, Victorianisms and Edwardianisms and history. I love pretending like I live in another time period. I think that's, you know, I worked at a run fair. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I I love the idea that it's a two-person game and that you are not allowed to interact with them except through the letters. I think it's brilliant. And I got to tell you, I actually played this game before you invented it. When I was in college, every summer when I went home for the summer uh, and my best friend went home for the summer, we would write each other letters on stationery with ink pens um, <laughs> using our middle names as our Victorian secret code names. Oh and boy. I'm not kidding. <laughs> and and we that. like I mean we called and texted and did all kinds of stuff sure, in between. Sure, but course. we we during those letters we we tried to word everything that was happening in real life in real time in Victorian like filter. Mm-hmm. Um so I w- as soon as I saw the first sentence of the game I was like here for it, gonna play it next week. <laughs> hey, let's go. Let's go. Um right. and I'm thrilled that it won because again like we're talking about um, like the 200 word RPG challenge is a perfect place to discover new things and push those boundaries of what we think an RPG will be like. Um, and I love this idea that each player is going to have this internalized life um, that we sometimes get a taste of or a glimpse of during D&D, for example. Um, I know my characters in D&D have a rich internal life that no one knows about until they ask the right question at the right time. Right. Um, but we don't always get to like live in it and feel it and experience it. And I love the way that this game sits in that place and gives you an opportunity to live another life for a little bit. Um, I love the idea of the solo variant where you write and you write and you write and you don't get anything. And what does that look like? I mean, that's really what, um, I mean, it's very similar to being a writer. Like when you sit down and you're writing a book and you're writing a book and you're writing a book and years go by and you're like, no one will read this. Why? Yeah. Why? You know, like, but right. you have, you still have this rich emotional internal connection to the thing that you've written, even if you're not getting those responses or and no one's interacting with it. And I find that so beautiful. Um, and I got to tell you, I am going to be playing this game. My husband and I are, um, we have a podcast uh, called Warda where it's an Edwardian kind of analog fantasy world. Um, and it's uh, it's an actual play podcast, but in between our storylines of actual play, we have uh, what we call glimpses, where we um, we do like one shots of different things um, set in the same world, but potentially using different mechanics. And we're gonna use Dear Elizabeth as one of our glimpses for the next 
round of of that because it's so good and it lends itself perfectly to what we're trying to accomplish with with the thing that we've already built. So thank you for writing this. Oh, you're welcome. That that's fantastic. Uh, I'd love to know how it goes. Uh, to yeah, we'll, we'll keep you posted for sure. Yeah, Ali, can you um, send Rudy the link to that podcast, and we'll make yeah. sure to include it in the description for the uh, for this podcast. Definitely. <laughs> Great. Sorry, Will. Did you want to respond to that? I'm sorry. I feel like I cut you off there. Yeah. No. No. Um, I mean, that's that's amazing. Like, um, uh, obviously, you'll you'll be using that. Um, I think you're right with the the solo variant. Um, it's all about the um, all about the isolation. Uh, it's obviously uh, obviously I, I don't know what it's like to have been a Victorian woman, but from from what <laughs> I've read, uh, you know, it could be a very um, lonely and isolated experience. Uh, and so part of the whole having the characters not interact except by letter was to sort of just try and bring that out just to a bit and you know hopefully hopefully it works people yeah i mean i'm really fascinated by the idea of by like the futility of people who write without an audience uh maybe mm -hmm. because like mm -hmm. i've written plenty of things that i had no audience for but just like the futility of that and like there's almost a kind of pathos that you get there that you could never get in an interaction between two two individuals you know, and I, I think that's kind of fascinating. Rudy, did you have a question for Will? Um, not a question as much as a comment. Um, we talked a lot about accessibility, I guess, in games like, uh, you know, you mentioned when we were talking about Ali's game, the proto RPG and its forms and how that seems to be more accessible than some of the, you know, Dungeons and Dragons and that kind of stuff. But I think the epistolary game in general, and this one especially, um, I think that really has something as far as accessibility that a lot of games don't have because um, I believe that asking someone to step into a character uh, and actually be talking and doing that kind of stuff, I think that a lot of times is a real killer for a lot of people. Their first step into it is like, well, hey, you know, here's your character sheet, now go. Yeah. But I think the act of actually writing something writing things down and, uh, you know, passing these letters between each other. Uh, you know, I think that is something that's a really special way to, you know, a lot is talked about as far as magic circles and stuff in games where you kind of enter, you do this ritual to enter the play space or whatever, to enter the, the headspace of the game. I think that the act of writing, I think that's actually a really, really good way to do that. And um, it may just be because of, my history of role playing, like, uh, I guess I've done a lot of online stuff. This reminds me a lot of online chat role playing. Yeah. Um, I know it's mm -hmm. something completely different, but it reminds me a lot of that because there's so much more that goes into the process of like having to think about when you think about how you make your character and you think about what they're going to say. There's so much more, I think, that goes into thinking. Well, there's a different process, I think, that goes into thinking about how you're going to make your character communicate when you're writing it, you know, mm. maybe not physically, but, you know, in like, say, a chat room or something like that. That That is very different from just emoting your character in real life, you know, like talking through your character. And I think that's something special that really, uh, 
that really helps with the accessibility of these types of games. Uh, you know, some people are more, I know I personally um, would not be very comfortable playing a Jane Austen character, like emoting them and, you know, playing them through, you know, my voice and stuff like that. But I would definitely be more comfortable writing a character yeah. like that. And I think that's really special because that, uh, that is something that not enough games really do. I think it's one thing that's really hard in in a lot of RPGs when you, you've got your mates and you're around a table and, you know, you, you're playing something like Dungeons and Dragons and so on. Uh, you know, you're a guy and you maybe want to, to play a, a female character. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that can sometimes be... Be a little sort of, sort of weird, a little bit sort of, sort of. Um, uh, well, it's not weird. I, I, that's really the wrong, wrong word for it. It's, it's, it's difficult to do. It feels yeah. weird. Um, mm. Whereas actually, it's something that would be really amazing if people could cross-play more. Yeah. Um, but actually, if you if you put like a, a divide between you and the other players, you you know, be it a screen, you know, doing. Um, or playing via by IM or something, then there's just that sort of mask that, that sort of frees up uh, you to be able to play characters that you wouldn't maybe feel as comfortable with, um, sort of there at the table with the other players, sort of emoting as opposed to necessarily doing it, doing it by text. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And I think above and beyond that, it also, and I think Ali kind of alluded to this, but it gives you permission to add layers to that character that might Mm. be awkward to add at the table in conversation. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, well, maybe it wouldn't be awkward for me since I like, Anyways, like I, I'm like I'm one of those bad like DMs who like monologues with their NPCs while the players are like shot up. But I mean, I think in reality, like if you were a more gracious, like reasonable human being than I am, like I think it is awkward to say no. I like I want some spotlight for my character. I want to talk about what my character's feeling. You know, I want to talk about like what impact this is having on my character, and that's something that. Like, first of all, just grabbing that scene, I think, it, that, like, spotlight is challenging for a lot of people. But also, like, feeling okay about having it and not feeling like you're chewing the scenery, unless the game is designed for that, you know, or being, you know, being a complete ham or whatever. That can be tricky in verbal interactions in RPGs. But in your game, like, it lends itself to that like to being like oh i really want to like i'm going to write a paragraph here about what my character feels about this and i think that's that's pretty sweet you know (laughs) yeah i i hope that the people would want to really sort of get into the sort of emotional side of it um in a way that perhaps uh, they wouldn't do in a a sort of other type experience Uh, i think yeah great uh, I think Ali needs to leave us now or very soon. I actually can hang in there if we want to talk about some more games. Great. That's cool. I think we'll, if everyone's okay with having, with talking about the finalists or the winners rather, I would like to give uh, Ali a chance to at least mention one or two of the games that she brought with her. So I think right now we're going to transition to, if you're listening, we're 
transitioning over, we're going to talk about other 200-word RPG entries that we really enjoyed. And I'm going to let Allie go first, since this is time-sensitive for her. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Um, so uh, not to continue patting ourselves on the back, but winter into, hashtag winter into spring and Dear Elizabeth were both on my short list of finalists that I thought were worthy of the win. I really, really like both of those games. Um, a couple of the other games I'll mention by name, and then I want to talk about a, like one or two of them. Um, HOA, the RPG, um, is one of them. Uh, Hold my hand and tell me it's okay is one of them. Uh, Boys to Men in Black. <laughs> and Same Bat Time, Same Bat Mitzvah. Um, now, the, the brilliant titling of these games, notwithstanding. <laughs> right. Um, Boys to Men in Black Gosh, is one of the yeah. best titles of it's, any of the games that were... I, I really... Yeah. It's such a good title. I looked at it like four times before I understood what it said. Um, so I want to talk really quick about HOA the RPG. Um, HOA being Homeowners Association. Um, it's, a, it's a Lego game. It's a game that uses Legos as... Uh, Legos and a, like a timer as the physical mechanics of the game. Um, it's about having meetings of your homeowners association in the Lego village where you live. Um, and you set a timer to construct a Lego house. Um, and when the timer goes off, whether you're ready or not, um, you have one of your HOA meetings um, and players can bring up grievances about other players, uh, discuss the grievances, um, support or betray one another in those meetings and be as petty as they want. Um, and then in between each meeting, you, you set a timer again and you can make any changes you want to your house. And I, I love the idea of um, how silly this commentary is, um, that, that it's using Legos to kind of, I don't know if it's intentionally poking fun or if it's just how it, came off to me um, that it's using Legos as a comment on um, how wild and ridiculous sometimes homo ownership can be and how the aesthetic of a homeowners association is to those of us who are not involved in one, like how insane that is. Um, it brings to mind that X-Files episode where Mulder and Scully go undercover in like this weird gated community where something oh, is going on. that's one of my favorites. Uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's, uh, the title is Arcadia in case anyone was wanting to watch that yeah, one. It's it. one of the best episodes. Um, but I, I just love, and I love that it's Legos. Like I, I wasn't aware of any other games that were uh, in the finalists at least that used Legos. Um, I think Legos are super accessible and fun. And like, I don't know how to make a good Lego thing, but if you gave me a pile of Legos and a timer, I could make a cool house. Like that again, it's that child childhood say yes and go for the play thing that I'm like really into. Um, yeah, and I absolutely. also like that, that the meetings are about airing grievances because who doesn't like making stuff up right. to yell at each other about, I love that. Right. I think that's great. I, uh, as you said before, you mentioned that the game lets you be as petty as you want. I am so there for any game that lets me be as petty as I want. Yeah, false <laughs> pettiness? Absolutely. Yeah. Real-life pettiness can, can yeah, take no, a hike. Yeah, exactly. You need an outlet for that somewhere, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Um, so I don't know if you guys had any thoughts on that one or if that one was one that stuck out to you guys either. I think I think I'll let you. I want to make sure you can squeeze all of your games in here. So I think we'll oh, let sure. you move on to the next one. Okay. Yeah. No worries. Um, Boys to Men in Black um, combines the concept of the the '90s movie Men in Black with a Boys to Men album, and I've never seen a game do that specifically. But also like. The idea of you only have as long as the album is playing to play the game is really cool to me. It's a built-in timer, but it also is a built-in orchestration. It's a built-in soundtrack emotionally, theoretically, for what the gameplay could be. Um, and I think that's really brilliant. It's also hyper-specific and nostalgic, and I love that. Um, it's about banding together to save the world from aliens. Um, and one of the aliens is one of you, um, which I also really like. I I gotta say, I would have to sit down with the rules for this one and like really parse it out um, and like probably listen to the album first and see how yeah. I would want to like handle it. Um, but I love the idea of it and I love how bizarrely irreverent it kind of feels both to men in black and boys to men. Um yeah, yeah, exactly. I and it has a a really a really basic mechanic with a fifty two card deck, um, and the numbers of the the cards tell you whether it's an interesting failure for your move, a success with a complication, a clean success, or a success with power. Um, and I think that's about as basic as it gets. You know, like that's that's basic. And I know uh, it's common for. 200 word RPGs to use D6s and to use a 52 uh, yeah. card deck. Um, it's like super common, but that's because it's what we know. It's what we're familiar with. It's what's accessible. We assume everyone's got at least a couple of those lying around that they can play with. Um, but I think this is a really good example of where that 52 card deck mechanic is common, but it's not like, oh man, another card deck game. Right, right. Like, that's not what stands out to me about this game. What stands out to me about this game is how wild the idea of men in black and boys to men and there's an album playing and like you play as R&B pop icons, which is like all of it comes together in this perfect weird smoothie that like, <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never seen that in a game before. And I think it's so fun. Um, and then the only other game I wanted to talk about, since we we all have games that we wanted to talk about, is Same Bat Time, Same Bat Mitzvah, which also, phenomenal title. Oh, yeah, that is probably the second best title. <laughs> 10 out of 10 would pick up that game just by the title. Right. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting concept um, wherein the players are guests at Rachel's Bat Mitzvah. Uh, where one of the guests has been bitten by a vampire bat and is transforming into a vampire during the party. Um, and so one of you is a vampire and the others don't know that you are. So you have to like bite other people during the game without them figuring out that it's you. Um, and the physical mechanic has to do with candles and dance music. Um, and I love how not on my radar this would have been 
Um, like I am not Jewish. I am like Jewish, Jewish adjacent. Like I, I know <laughs> a good number of Jewish friends, um, but I'm not f super familiar with bat mitzvahs. Um, and I love that it gives you a cast of characters to choose from. It gives you all of their names, who they're related to, why they're like, it's so specific and great. And it's a really cool kind of bizarre, funny thing to do um, that, you know, you wouldn't think, I wouldn't think to combine like a, a vampire, um, you know, one of the players is the betrayer scenario at a bat mitzvah. Like, I think that's great and really exciting. And I would definitely play this game. Yeah, some of these games just have some really incredible scenarios that are just like, how did you even think of that? Like, where, where, where did yeah. that come from, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I want to, I'll give uh, Rudy and Will a chance to jump in on any of those games now um, that they want to talk about. And then after that, Allie, just let us know when you need to go and sure. uh, we'll carry on with uh, with our list. Well, I really like the Homeowners Association game uh, mm -hmm. because of the Legos. I mean, just the idea of building anything with Legos in a game, any game that uses Legos, I'm I'm up for that. Uh, but I think it does mesh well with, like you said, the kind of ridiculousness of of the idea of a homeowners association. You know, especially for people like you said who aren't really, who don't, who've never been a part of one, or who've been you know, this kind of uh, haughty, I guess. You know, the the stereotype of you know that type of thing is just it's it's really funny to think about. Especially when you're literally critiquing Legos and that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to apply that level of pretension to like right. a basic children's toy. Yeah, know? I really just love that. Um, Boys to Men in Black. The only thing I want to say about that is uh, that is a wonderful name, and I wish it, it was my. I wish I had thought of that. Really, <laughs> <laughs> I really do. <laughs> that was a game that made me made me look at the name and think, wow, I wish that was, that was my name. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, particularly with boys to men in black, I, I love that you have the length of this album, um, that, that, you know, you're going to bring that into, into the game that you're playing because obviously it's, it's an RPG about boys to men and you're playing boys to men. Um, and yeah, I, I'd love to see some other games that do do that sort of thing with with music. Uh, I think, yeah, to, trying to fold music into into RPGs is something that, that is really interesting. Um, I did a laugh earlier in the year that um, essentially uh, had a, um, a sort of magic uh, DJ station uh, that would just play music at various times uh, related to what was going on in the game. Mm. Uh, so that worked really well, and it, right. yeah, the idea of trying to trying to have a soundtrack to a, an RPG that that also influences the RPG, um, yeah, I, I I think that's a really good idea and, and something that I'd love to see more of in in other games. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree with you about that. Um, I've seen it in a few other RPGs where there is some kind of mechanic that where music is either used to pace the game or to um, begin and end phases of the game were just used as a backdrop for the game. And I've never seen a game that included music and wished it didn't. You know, if anything, I've seen games where it's like, boy, I wish 
like I don't know, just the power of music to inspire creativity, I think, um, is something that's undervalued. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I guess that I, I didn't really have um, much to say above and beyond that about any of those games. Uh, as everyone has said, like, those are some glorious, like, incredible titles. <laughs> just, Definitely. Um, yeah, great titles. And just like, like you said, really fascinating situations that the game sets up for you. Um, you know, and when you... I don't know when you play when you play high fantasy D and D four times a week, every week. You know, oh, yeah. sometimes it's like really mm. refreshing to play something about vampires at a bat mitzvah. Yeah, mm. absolutely, or Definitely. whatever. Exactly. I mean, I think that unfortunately, like retail RPGs are very stuck in about three, maybe four genres. Like you have a, like, oh, here's some high fantasy. Here's a like gothic horror game. Here's some kind of like sci-fi pastiche of some kind. And it's like, oh, right. okay. Sometimes, okay. It, oh, sometimes that's all you again. want, but sometimes you're like, ooh, that dessert looks weird. I wonder what filling it has. You know, right. you want to try something new. That's all. That's yeah. all I have to say about that. Absolutely, yeah. 100% agree. So I think what we will do now with um, Rudy, William, or Will, and myself is I think we'll take um, take turns. Like, Rudy, you can say talk about one of your games that you had on your list. Will, you can talk about one of yours, and I'll talk about one of mine. And maybe we'll go around three times and uh, and then call it a day. So, uh, and Allie, as I said, whenever you need to need or want to drop out, feel free to just like, just, uh, close the window or say bye guys or whatever. For sure. Uh, okay. Rudy, um, what, what's the game that was on your list? Uh, one that I liked was air traffic control room. Uh, it's a game that is quite literally simulating the experience of being an air traffic controller, which I thought is a really interesting topic. I mean, it's definitely... Awesome. And uh, the reason I liked it so much, um, it feels really true to the source material. Like the things that you're role playing in that game, or the things you're doing in that game, um, really feel true to being an air traffic controller. Like, I guess the rules are basically that you write a bunch of stuff down, and then you, um, well, it, one person is the air traffic controller. They say the best listener or whoever can be the, the air traffic controller. The other players then write down a bunch of stuff that they'll then scream at them. And uh, <laughs> the air traffic controller has to then write all of that stuff down. And at the end, you see how well they did it. Um, and the cat, the role play, where the role playing comes in, though, is um, basically from the things that they didn't get or the the things that were mistranslated you kind of make scenes you frame scenes around that so like you know if they missed you know a plane saying it was landing it's like well where did that plane go you know what, what happened to, you know that you know how did that uh you know how does that play out and that that i just thought was really brilliant i thought that was a really good way to do uh to do that kind of i mean i don't want to say simulationism but i guess that's kind of what it is i mean it's like it hardcore simulationism <laughs> yeah i mean it seemed to me like a really like a, a natural thing that people a natural kind of game that people would play 
anyway, you know, like a game that people might play, you know, just for fun, but it, it has some really interesting twists on it and some interesting parts of the procedure that I thought were just really made it cool. And I like the idea of the, uh, the, the confusion being served by the theme, um, not to yeah. really toot my own horn here, but it's kind of similar to one of my games, Fatima's Busy Day, where all the players are screaming at, you know, Fatima, and she asks them to try to make some sense out of the confusion. And I just like the idea of games. And I think this actually does that in a more accessible way, um, and it because it makes you, it, it embraces the chaos. And it makes, yeah. instead of having one person, you'll pick the narratives that create like some kind of personal harmony, it embraces the chaos and, you know, all the, just all the stuff that happens really is meaningful. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this game almost made my list as well. And yeah. what I really liked about it, okay, so... Most RPGs have this wonderful way <laughs> of taking a fantastical situation and making it tedious and boring, like right. through mechanics, right? Like the mechanics right. of are, it's like, you know, you're confronted by this huge fire breathing dragon, like who's sitting on this massive, like heart of gold and he rears back his head and opens his jaw and breathe, you know, and unleashes flames at yada, yada, yada. Oh yeah. Pick up D20 and roll it. Like, yeah, okay. now roll initiative, right? <laughs> you know? Exactly, now roll initiative. But to instead of doing that, to take a mundane situation and make mm -hmm. it exciting through mechanics is something I think RPGs need to do more of. Mm -hmm. And this game really, I think, does that like yeah. in a more remarkable way. And that, like, would anyone here, like, fantasize about being an air traffic controller i need I, I know that's not like what i think about before i fall asleep at night right <laughs> like it, it, you don't want that life and probably in reality there is some like it may be somewhat exciting because you are trying to process a bunch of information at once but i think a lot of people like it's not a job that people romanticize hmm. um and to take something like that and to inject it with these really like insane high octane mechanics where people are screaming at each other that yeah. really like ramps up the level of tension and excitement like i just thought that was brilliant um and and probably would be a lot more fun to play than some rpgs that deal with um maybe subject matter that thematically might be superficially more exciting. Definitely. Uh, Will, Ali, anything on, I don't, I don't think that one was a finalist. So you guys might not have read it, which is totally fine. Um, I think it would be super fun to play. <laughs> like, honestly, I love the idea that it's, about making making sense of the chaos, like you said, um, and that you have to write it by hand instead of yeah. typing it. Ugh, stress. But it would be really fun with the right people. I think it would be super fun. Yeah, definitely. And it's reminding me of um, there's a board game called uh, Captain Sonar, where uh, essentially you, you divide into teams and you're, you're playing submarine um, uh, submariners. Um, and part of that is that um, somebody directing the ship on one team has to call out to the other people on their team um, where they're going on on this sort of grid map, a bit like 
some battleship a little bit like. Um, but the other team has a radio operator who's listening in, who's trying to plot the, the course of their um, of their opponents, try and work out where they are. Um, and this feels like a real sort of distillation of that sort of, sort of, sort of processing of all the information at the same time into something that would play in quite a short space of time, but that have the same sort of madcap, ah, everything's going on at the same time type uh, like <laughs> right. experience. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, Will, what was your first game? Yeah, so um, the first game I picked out is uh, the one called uh, This Weight We Share. Um, sort of full disclosure, this is one of my friend's games, uh, is is. Um, and essentially you're playing, well, you're one person each round plays the cursed videotape in uh, sort of the ring type scenario. And you describe what you can see from within the television looking out at your victim, whilst everyone else uh, sketches down uh, the scene that, that you're describing. Oh. And then you rotate around the players until you have this whole pile of sketches of people in their final moments. And then you come together at the end to try to work out what what the common thread is that binds all of these uh, pictures together um you know how does the final girl or you know the final uh, non-victim survive and, and defeat the curse of the videotape um i read it going what what um you're playing the the videotape in in a ring that's that's crazy that's amazing um yeah. uh, i just love the the idea that it's chief mechanic is drawing because i I love to draw, I love to sketch, um, and a mechanic that is essentially just you drawing what other people are describing sort of in real time. That uh, really grabbed me as a, an idea. Right, yeah. I actually didn't read that one, but it sounds really cool the way you describe it, so I'll have to go back and uh, give it a go. And uh, definitely send us the link. Uh, it, actually, everyone, if you could send Rudy or me the links to your games, and I'll make sure that the games you talked about, and I'll make sure that that's available in the description on our site so that anyone who's listening to this, if anyone is listening to this, can um, can read all the games. Uh, Ali, Rudy, did you have any... Um, sorry, Will, what was the name of the game again? Yeah, it's uh, This Weight We Share. This weight we share. Did you guys get a chance to read that or have any thoughts on it? I don't remember reading this one originally, but wow, what an idea. The cursed videotape. Like, I, as I mentioned previously, I'm extremely sensitive as a person. And so I don't generally watch scary films, but I have seen The Ring. I watched it in broad daylight once while cuddling a dog. And uh, <laughs> it... It was very spooky, and the concept of playing a game where you try to piece that together from a different angle is really interesting. I, um, not to derail this, but I kind of think that, like, um, <laughs> The Ring as a film is kind of like a, like, really cool found footage montage in search of a coherent plot but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rag on the ring too much here uh but i do like the, that but actually in some ways having games that are based on not great movies might be better than having games that are based on great films because mm -hmm. 
it gives you the chance to say, well, wait a second, I could have done that better. Let me show you. Uh, but Rudy, I know you read this one since somehow you read all of them. <laughs> what did you, did you have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, uh, just to, uh, to get on something that Will had said, uh, I would really like the drawing element. Uh, drawing, any game that uses drawing, it, to me, is basically, that's AAA stuff, because I really love, and I love the fact that um, you have a time limit, and, and in that time limit, you have to describe as many uh, visual details as possible. Um, and then people, I guess, have to sketch that um, in, in some kind of, you know, within the time limit, and that's pretty crazy honestly i mean i can just imagine like how the the drawings would get more chaotic and more you know more you know rushed i guess as things go on and how what that would do to to the theme or to the you know yeah and how that, that mimics like the curse yeah like the like the um like the i guess the tension building I don't. I don't really know. But also what the, the natural deterioration of a VHS tape, right? Yes. Yeah. Which is really cool. Which is one of the things that makes like these cursed videotape things spooky. It's not just like that the images on screen are spooky, but it's that the natural deterioration that happens in a VHS tape as a medium is yeah. like fucked up and reminds us of things like mortality that we don't really want to think about. <laughs> yeah. And I like also that there's a cooperative stage where you try to piece together what Yeah, happened. that's really cool. That's really interesting to me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to, I guess I'll mention one that um, kind of stuck out to me. Hey, y'all, I'm going to head out. I okay. just want to say thank you again for having me on to talk about stuff. It was nice talking to you guys. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, nice Allie. Talking thanks to you. For, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. And uh, yeah, and we all really enjoyed Sidewalkia and uh, basically screwed those guys on Reddit. They don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, and once again, if you're on Reddit and I just pissed you off, please come and yell at me on the podcast. I would love that. <laughs> uh, so anyway, to talk about a... Um, to talk about one of the games that I enjoyed, I just want to mention... Uh, Stakeout, actually, which is a um, is a game where you are playing as cops staking out a target, where you literally drive your car. <laughs> you literally <laughs> yes. all get in, you and three friends or whatever, get in a car, find a deserted street, and sit there overnight. <laughs> and uh, the thing that I that I, I loved about this game was that. I really love, and I mentioned this when I was talking about Sidewalkia, I really love it when games kind of say fuck you to that arbitrary distinction that exists between games and reality, and yes. or that like go out into the world and <laughs> I don't want to say subject people to this game, but go out <laughs> into this world and into the world and bring the game with you. Games that really blur that line. Um, that exists between between the real and the fictional, between the role and the playing of the role. I just, I, I love those. And it's daring, I think, to design in that way because you're going to catch a lot of shit if you do. 
Um, yeah. And mm. so I also just think this would be really fun to do. Like, I would totally like if Rudy and I were still like um, in the same town where we grew up, I, I we would have played this already. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just just absolutely like enchanted with the idea. I also really love the fact that there's a note at the end of the game. Note, if the actual police show up and question you, please pause the game and cooperate. End the game and leave the area if instructed to do so. The fact that the game has to have that note and that the the designer realized probably midway through designing the game, like, oh shit, the actual cops might show up. <laughs> like if you're sitting in a car outside of some random apartment <laughs> complex, maybe someone will call the cops on you and you'll have to deal with that awkward situation. And that the designer like included instructions for that. I think that was like very kind of them, but also gives you a sense of just how like potentially risky it would be to play this game. Hmm. I don't know what you guys thought about it. Uh, well, one of the things I personally like is the prompts that they have for each uh, each hour. I guess it is. Um, yeah. It's, like, uh, uh, oh, yeah. I guess it's each hour of play. So you have like, uh, you know, hey, like order some food. <laughs> or like, <laughs> hey, the coffee's the gone, and if the other guy's asleep. You got to nudge him and wake him back up. You know, it just it's really thematic, and it really goes with I think the the jovial kind of atmosphere that this game really generates i guess um and yeah i was gonna mention the note at the end but <laughs> that that really just made it for me that really sealed the package for me because that that's just so like i mean it might happen i mean yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and yeah will did you have any thoughts on this one i don't know if you this one wasn't a finalist so i don't know if you had the chance to read it or yeah, I've, I've just pulled it up and, and had a look. And yeah, I, I love it. I love the notes um, at the start as well with, with what you'll need. Uh, a car, preferably a 70s sedan, um, eight uninterrupted hours, um, part of town that's just a little on the seedy side. Yeah. Um, yeah it, I really like it. The, the only thing I've got is that it, it says play over eight hours, um, which... Um, <laughs> Yeah, it might might be a bit of a grind, but you know, yeah. I, I reckon you could play it in, you know, play it in a couple of hours, condense every hour to, you know, fifteen minutes, uh, fifteen minute scene or a snapshot of that hour, and and yeah, you you can have a really good time with it. I think. Yeah, I think that's yeah, true. I mean, personally, I'd probably be in it for the whole eight. <laughs> But I, mean, I can totally bad, see. So. <laughs> I can totally see why someone might not want to give up their entire night's sleep in order to play this game. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The details here are phenomenal, yeah. and that's one thing I wanted to. I was thinking about before um, recording this podcast that I wanted to mention. I think one of the greatest challenges of. Uh, creating a 200 word RPG isn't necessarily the designing the game, but rather writing it. And um, this is one of the games I think that was um, among the best written ones, just because it has such a mastery of details and also of, of how um, like the flow of the text chronological, chronologically, like it, 
the flow of the text matches the flow of play very well, which makes it very yeah. intuitive and very easy to, to read. And I think when you only have 200 words to work with, that's a real challenge. Mm, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So, um, Rudy, uh, what's your ne- I think you're next, right? I've, I think, it, yeah, you're next, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, what's your next one? Uh, the one I wanted to talk about uh, is definitely a tiny person. Um, and this is a really strange imagination game, I guess you'd call it, where you have a bunch of cups on the table and you pretend to basically rifle through them to find a tiny person, an imaginary tiny person who's under one of the cups. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wind up crushing all of the cups and, well, you wind up crushing them at the end, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, it, it instructs you not to look under the cup. And I really like this one uh, because the way it builds tension is really natural. Uh, and it's it's a game that really, it never breaks the magic circle of games, really. You know, like, it, at the end it says, well, don't look under the cup, you know, to, you know, because you obviously see that there's nobody under there. But it says, don't look under the cup and don't, you know, don't break that magic, you know. That's one thing I really, really liked about this game. Um, I also just like the idea of a bunch of angry people, just the mental image of a bunch of angry people, you know, getting angrier and angrier as they can't find this little tiny guy (laughs) under these cups. Right. (laughs) And I just thought that was a really awesome, it was just a really strange game. Uh, you really have to read it, but it's just really, it was really evocative to me personally. Yeah. I didn't have a chance to read this one, unfortunately. Um, but I do like from the way you've described it, just a sense of experimentation there. Kind of like I said earlier, I feel like the 200-word RPG contest should be about pushing the boundaries of what is and isn't an RPG more than anything else. And what is and isn't like an RPG mechanic. Uh, right. Sure sounds like this does that. And I um, saw people on Reddit talking about this game and how how disturbing it was, especially that that last bit where where you smash the last cup. Um, but you yeah. don't look underneath. You don't you don't spoil the magic of of the conceit that you you created together. And yeah, it, I, I can imagine it could get quite quite emotionally um, uh, upsetting. Uh, sort of um, yeah. really sort of would be quite, especially if that person that smashes the last cup, knowing, yeah. or sort of, obviously not knowing there's a real person on these, but but in the game there's there's this person that you're, you know, just just swatting down it. Because I mean, the one thing the game um, doesn't say that that I quite like is it doesn't say why you're trying to find this person, right. or why you're angry at him. Uh, right. Yeah. I guess one thing it reminds me of is those uh, like fairy sightings from the, I guess, seventeen, eighteen hundreds, where people oh, used to go oh. out and try to look at look for fairies. That's one thing. That's what immediately came to me when I was reading it. Is one of those. It's like this idea of like this little tiny person that might be here or might not. <laughs> you know, that's pretty. I thought that was pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. And like that whole genre of like faked fairy photography that existed that even yeah. i think charles dickens or some famous author of the period got totally suckered by one of those uh <laughs> one of those photographs so yeah um, yeah great 
Uh, Will, what was another one of the games that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, so this next game uh, is uh, Fuck It's Dracula. Um, <laughs> another fuck great name. Title. So many with, with amazing names. Um, th this one, it made me smile to read the name, and then I read the game, and it's really funny. Um, so you start out uh, as villagers on, on a planet. It's the distant future, and uh, a coffin-shaped pod just crashed to the south. Um, and essentially, it it has everything that I, um, the reason I picked it was that it it's, it does the um, the thing in the the two hundred word challenge that, that's to be a, a complete and playable game in that it does everything. You have character creation, um, you have a setting, you then have a, a structure for for the game itself. You play through these these different scenes uh, as Dracula comes back, and you have a uh, sort of uh, mechanic on on how you resolve uh, opposed actions, um, and I love you have a little table of of events, and on uh, one in six in each scene, fuck uh, it's Dracula. <laughs> so so yeah, it, it made me laugh to to read it, and I thought I thought again, it's a game that I can see people play, and it gives you all the tools to uh, be able to play the game as well. Rudy, did you have thoughts on this one? Um, I love the name. I mean, that was this is another one, and it's in the runnings definitely for the best names. But uh, I like the instruction. I think it says that um, a player has to, or when you fail under certain conditions, the GM gets to write something on your character sheet. Is that? Yeah, and I love it. That that's that's an amazing mechanic. Just the GM yeah. really can put something on your character sheet. Um, Especially since you have other things written there too, like you have to write about your. Uh, don't you have to write about uh, your, your, who you, your character loves most, basically, right? I mean, like who, who or what your character loves most. So I mean, the idea that the the GM could write something, you know, that deals with that. I mean, that's just. I think it's a pretty brilliant mechanic. Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, just just the freedom it gives to the DM to, to sort of propel the game forward. You know, yeah, group people over in, in a way that you know forms the story that you're telling. Yeah, this is another one that I did not read. <laughs> it's funny when you have, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted everyone to bring a few games that they liked, because I think that once again. Rudy aside, I doubt that there's anyone, including people who participated in the contest, people who were leaders and judges of the contest, who have read all 750 plus games. So it's great to have like the chance to hear about games that you totally miss because mm. now um, even if nobody's listening to us, I know, hey, I can go and check out these games, you know, and people listening to us maybe have missed some or all of these games as well. Um, my next one is kind of shady, morally speaking, uh, which is basically Breaking mm. Bad, the game. The uh, epistolary Richard, who's the designer, even put Breaking Bad in parentheses <laughs> in the title. And what I liked about this game is how, how effective it is at um, getting to the meat of one of those like prestige drama TV shows. Um, and the, the fact that um, Richard like rightly 
realize that those shows are mostly about moral compromise. Uh, just to give you a sense of what the game is, it's basically um, at the beginning of the game. First of all, it's a twosie. It's a it's a RPG for just two players, which is uh, not that rare. But something that I haven't seen done particularly well in the past. Certainly not not to the level of quality that we have on display here. But anyway, and basically they play both players play partners who have broken bad you know who have exited normal day-to-day uh mundane civilian life and have taken up some kind of criminal exercise um whether that's like um drug production as it was in breaking bad or um he gives a few other examples burglary money laundering extortion so on and so forth um so you start with two players who are exiting normal life entering this criminal exercise and from there the game you enter each player comes up with basically a list of things that their character says they will not do like uh, and one of which has to be i will not uh, what is it he says i won't betray my partner but otherwise it could be something like i'd never i would never kill a kid i would never deal drugs in a school zone i would never um you know i would never let my wife become involved in the business i would never put my own family at risk so on and so forth um and then of course you role play out a series of scenes that take place immediately after one of those personal rules one of those personal standards have been broken so you pick one you're like oh oops i guess i did i just i just sold drugs in a school zone i guess <laughs> and then instead of what the real genius i think here though is that rather than role play out that scene where you and your partner sell drugs to school children you're role playing out a scene that takes place immediately afterwards where you and your partner are sitting across the table at a seedy diner or mm. in like their car, you know, after they've just pulled away from the school zone and parked, you know, the requisite hundred <laughs> yards away or whatever. Um, and you, uh, and you play out a discussion. It's totally dialogue. You play out a conversation between the characters where they needle each other and ask each other questions about, well, why did you just do that? Why did we just do that? Um, and you're, you're encouraged to get kind of, you, there are actually like verbal cues that you can say in character, like, I don't want to talk about it, actually signals to the other player that they need to ask, they need to press you harder. They need to ask more pointed questions. And I think that's great because that's how it works in these narratives usually like yeah. if someone says i don't want to talk about it that it's never like okay and <laughs> it's like no you're, you're gonna you know that means the yeah. other person in the conversation is going to unload with both barrels uh yeah. so i just felt like rather than continue rambling i felt like this perfectly captures that the kind of dynamic of one of those series without actually dwelling on the like without role-playing out a bunch of the more salacious parts of those series, rather than role-playing mm -hmm. about a bunch of 
mm. role play out a bunch of scenes where you betray each other and you shoot civilians and so on. Instead, it's like dr dwelling on the moral consequences of those decisions. And that's really what good prestige TV is about, as opposed to bad prestige TV, which is basically just about like how much like gritty nonsense can we squeeze in. So I thought that was really, and also like Stakeout, this is a game that I would drop everything to play right now if I had the opportunity. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know if either, I, Rudy probably did, but I don't know if either of you had any thoughts on this. Uh, one thing I really like about this is the rule that says, uh, uh, well, after you in the conversation, and you just talked about one of these, uh, one of these things, uh, it says discard the rule or qualify it. I like the idea oh, that you yeah. can qualify it. So you said you can say like, unless my life is at stake or something. Yeah. And at the end, um, you have to repeat the game until all rules are discarded. So that means that you're going to have to go back and hit again on those things that you qualify. Like, well, you know, unless my life's at stake, you know, <laughs> right. you have to go back and talk about how that happened, you know, how, how it got worse basically. Right. Yeah. That, like, I think, Oh, sorry. No. Oh, no, go ahead. I, I think I was just going to say that I think is one of the, the features that makes people come back to these shows is like, you know, how things unravel. And... Yeah, absolutely. I 100% I agree with you there. And the thing that like you could say, like, OK, wait a second. I won't ever sell drugs in a school zone between <laughs> between 830 and 230, you know, like I won't sell while school is in session. And then you'll right. have to play a seat later where, oh, shit, I just sold drugs in the school zone while school is in session. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and then just the fact that by qualifying the, it, you, it means that inevitably what you're really saying is I want another scene where we do this awful thing again in an even more awful way. Exactly. <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, Will, did you have any uh, anything on this game? Yeah, like just to sort of go over that, the, um, the whole sort of discard or qualify sort of Sort of leads the whole thing to sort of spiral down. It's very sort of mm. sort of slippery slope, um, you know, which is what these programs are sort of about. Um, but also love that it's it starts with at least one of those rules already having been broken, because obviously it has to start with with a scene, which is how a yeah. lot of a right. lot of, um, of films do start. You, you know, you, you have a setup of you know this is the this is the guy, uh, you know, he's got his his crime rules and he is doing really well. Like uh, I think the mechanic um, with uh, Jason Statham, I think you know, he, he has these rules and it's all all fine. And then you know the the thing that propels things forward is that you know they break one of the rules. Uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of films that have that as as their uh, sort of hook. And and yeah, I, I love that it takes that and sort of sort of runs with it in. And sort of okay, and now we're just going to keep breaking the rules and, and just keep sort of spiraling down and down and down until, um, and then of course right. we get to the very end where it says leave. I won't betray my partner until last. Until last, so, yeah. yeah, yeah. So the so the end of the game will always end with you betraying your partner and you know how you work that in. Right, and that final conversation that you have to have is going to be tense as shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. Like, I like the fact that it basically demands that the game is it has to begin in media res. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but in the midst of what's happening. And actually, Breaking Bad 
does the same thing. The first scene in Breaking Bad is his pants flying out the window as he drives the uh, RV with the meth smoke billowing out the back <laughs> off the road, you know, and he, he steps out in his briefs and he, he's got the gun tucked into the back of his underwear. You say, wait, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what was this? And uh, and then, of course, the game moves, not the game, the, um, the series moves backwards a little bit to tell you what did just happen. But I love that idea of having to begin in the midst of something and then figure out what happened as opposed to like, like the rote exposition of leading up to it. Um, great. I think it's after seven o'clock on the East coast. So William, I cannot even imagine how late it is there. So I think I'll do, can we do just one more round of these and then we'll call it a day? Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, okay with that? It's it's midnight here, but it's it's fine. Uh, um, yeah, is, is it me next? Or? I think it's Rudy. I, okay. I no, yeah, because I just did one, so it's Rudy, and then it's you, and then it's me. Okay. Um, kind of caught between two that I want to talk about here, but um, I guess I'll talk about folding. Okay. Uh, this is a game about unreliable memory, and it kind of has a. I guess sort of a sci-fi flavor to it. But it's got this awesome folding mechanic that allows you to actually modify memories. Uh, well, first of all, you write um, you write a bunch of memories on your sheet, um, on, your, on, your, on a piece of paper, and then you actually fold over them during play uh, when, when, you, uh, you know, when you assert a memory from your sheet. The other player folds their character sheet literally over the text of the memory and i thought this mechanic is just such a wonderful it's just the idea of folding your character sheet um and the idea of the game being an argument because that's what that's how the game is framed it's framed the conversation is basically an argument between two people and uh i just thought that this was there's just so many things this mechanic could be used for um, and the way it's used here is very elegant and very awesome. And just the idea of, like I said, just folding a character sheet until it's no more. It, it, I think the instructions say basically until you can't fold anymore is when you end the game. And that, to me, is just really stood out when I first read all of these. Yeah. Um, this is another one that I, I didn't read but i do really like the idea of games that use mod physically modifying and altering your character sheet above and beyond yes. like adding stats to it as a mechanic like cut yeah. up your character sheet fold your character sheet <laughs> um that makes the character sheet a dynamic part of play rather than like a static like fetish object yeah and i i think the idea of like having it be about unreliable memory is something that's interesting too because that really allows you to explore a lot of things like you know it's like hey i thought this but then you fold over it it's like well no you actually thought something else because you write something in you know you can write something else in and it's like oh well i didn't really think that you know yeah so that, oh huh. <laughs> yeah it's like huh so that that's how we remembered it so i thought i thought it was just a really interesting mechanic just a really beautiful way to to do it yeah uh, it well, contrasts um, quite nicely with Memories, which won last mm, year, uh, when yeah. you're setting light to, to bits of, of paper with um, with various prompts on uh, as another way of, of doing the whole sort of degrading or changing memory state. But I, 
uh, I do. Uh, I think of the two, uh, I do like the idea of folding things over, so you're not so much entirely destroying what's on on your character sheet, but you're you're sort of modifying it in in ways depending on how you can fold the sheet up. And uh, yeah, I, right. I quite like that sort of modification aspect as opposed to you know, complete destruction. Yeah. Great. Uh, Will, what's your next game? Yeah, so uh, my last game, if I can find the tab for it, uh, is Dungeon Roommates. Um, and so uh, you are playing the monsters in a Dungeons & Dragons type dungeon who are roommates. And <laughs> uh, you all have uh, an inhuman desire, and you're all a bad roommate in some way. And you communicate via passive-aggressive post-it notes. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't read it, a, but I love it already. <laughs> yeah. you, you have a stat for, for patience. Um, you can you essentially roll some dice to work out um, how many post-its you can put out and how much, uh, you, how much of this patience you lose if, um, uh, if your request on, on the post-it note is denied. And then... Uh, yeah, you, you sort of role play, uh, lose patience with each other, and then um, when one character is down to zero patience, they flip out and, and move out, and the game is over. And I, I love this for for two main reasons. Uh, firstly, that um, I love that it's a, a very sort of um, uh, transgressive take on on sort of the D and D tropes. Uh, right. So. You know, D and D has these dungeons where you know they're filled with monsters. Um, but, but sort of thinking about the dungeon as an ecosystem, yeah. uh, when the players aren't mm. there, uh, and obviously this takes it more in the direction of you know the dungeon as a as a home for you know sentient type creatures. Right. Um, and the other reason I love it is I live with a guy. Um, <laughs> I hope he's not listening, but. <laughs> um, did communicate. Uh, I think there was a little bit of back communication as well. Uh, but yeah, uh, who communicated a lot via post-it notes um, when you know I'd, I'd neglected to, to mow the lawn or or things. Um, yeah. And so yeah, it it really rung rung true to me as a as a fun thing that that could could be played uh, or at least but more fun than actually living in, in a house where people are uh, you know talking via post-it note. Right, right. Yeah, I, I like what you said about, like, the dungeon as an ecosystem and trying to figure out, like, you always, like, especially if a dungeon dungeon is randomly generated or taken from a module, like a half-assed module or something, it's like, oh, okay, there are six goblins in here and one gelatinous cube. And you have to wonder, like, what, like, okay, you're going to go in there and you're going to kill the goblins and, like, try to kill the cube or try to figure out the way to, a way to get the, some treasure out of the cube or something that's pretty dull but like whatever was happening in that room before the heroes walked in must have been wonderful what the fuck were the goblins doing in there you know and there's usually not much thought given on the designer's point like oh it's like well they're mostly thinking about cr or something right like well we want one the gelatinous cube is going to be kind of challenging for the players but we'll have the goblins here because they're a low cr monster so and they'll kind of add like lay like layers to the challenge or whatever but like why like why are they hanging out together the cube can't even talk and the what are the goblins doing there like what do they want for like all of that shit would be so much more interesting so i this game 
didn't read it, but I want to play it a lot, like, now. <laughs> uh, Rudy, did you? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you said about the dungeon ecology stuff, like, what happened in that room? Like, that, mm-hmm. and that just, that sentence just really kind of encapsulates, like, living with other people, I guess. Like, what? <laughs> you might come in somewhere and, like, see a big mess or something. See something, it's like, well, what happened here? You know, and that really is, is I think, the essence of this game. And this is the idea of, like, passive-aggressive monsters going back and forth. Like, you know, like, I don't know, like, the Mind Flayer has a problem with the kobolds or something. You know, like, just the idea of, like, these monsters as regular people just having their their disputes is this really interesting idea. That you right. see you see it some sometimes. They try to do stuff like But I think as a game, it's, like, a lot fresher than it is as like a you know web comic or something like that where yeah. something you enter you can interact as these people or these monsters right yeah definitely I mean, you could you could play a japanese cube as well and and you know that's that's always gonna be fun so yeah yeah exactly i'll be honest there's never been a campaign where i didn't want to play as a gelatinous cube it's always like can i and then the dn's like no uh, but then when I'm the GM, I'm usually no, no. If I'm the GM, I'm like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but, but they they just be like, don't expect to be rolling many dice in this campaign anyway. So, and how are they going to move you around? Or they like, didn't I once actually manage to talk a GM into letting me play a gelatinous cube and the whole thing? They were like, well, how are you getting from place to place? They like had to bribe another player to put me in a cart or something and then the cart yeah, yeah, I remember a campaign it like, where it was a, a this cube was carted around in a little <laughs> <laughs> or something. that was pretty good but that's yeah. the kind of goofy thing that I think this really facilitates I love games that facilitate that because that's the way I tend to play anyway so. yeah just silly bullshit I mean yeah uh yeah uh, so my I had a list of five but I my last one here that I want to talk about um, actually was a finalist, but I suspect was only a finalist because um, a friend of mine who refused to come on the podcast was a judge, and I like begged her to put it on her list. Or not a judge, but a reader, rather. Um, and th- that's Hushabai, which I think is a game that turned a lot of people off, but I, I fell in love with immediately um basically um one player plays as a basically a high school or college dropout uh loser who gets who's living in her parents basement and gets pregnant and manages to hide the pregnancy from her family and friends somehow and then uh gives birth to the baby and um, puts it in a trash bag and throws it out. And the game and the other play, and then the cop, or, or well, basically the garbage men find the baby. Uh, it's already dead, by the way, because there's just nothing in this game that is happy or uplifting at all. Uh, and obviously they call the police, and the other player plays as a cop who's interrogating. Uh, the character's name is Andrea. You are Andrea, 24-year-old living, a 24-year-old woman living in your parents' basement in Ohio. That is just such a great first sentence to a game. Uh, and anyway, 
the cop keeps asking Andrea probing questions, basically about how did you get to the point where you threw your baby in literally in the trash? And Andrea has to answer those questions. And the game continues until one of the players starts to cry. Um, and, and the player who... <laughs> And the player who was able to get the other player to cry wins. And this is just such a, um, on the, it's just such a rejection of everything that everyone would say is good game design. <laughs> everyone but me would say is good game design. Like, the point of the game is to make the other player cry, and not by being like. A bully um and not by being a jerk and like throwing dice at them or whatever but by like asking them probing emotional questions if you're the cop or if you're andrea by weaving a sob story to try to get under the cop's skin and that like there aren't many games that encourage that kind of like i don't want to say emotionally manipulative play but frankly emotionally manipulative play like <laughs> There aren't many games where that really take the player's emotions and their ability to evoke an emotional impact from another player mechanically into account. Unless, there's a few games out there that are like, oh, ha, ha, if you can make the other player laugh, X, and X Y, and Z happens, right? Mm -hmm. And those are fine. But laughter is so easy to evoke at the gaming table like a lot of times you just laugh because something's awkward or because you feel obligated or maybe you laugh or just like you're there screwing around, goofing off. Like in a friendly um, sort of um, environment, like laughter comes so easy. But right. like to get another player to cry, like wow. <laughs> like of course there's also a like, subversion of this game's mechanics where like if you're playing with sufficiently callous and cynical people you might actually have to make them laugh because that might be the only route to making them cry mm -hmm. um which is kind of i thought an interesting like depending on the group that plays this game the tactics are going to be very different and what the players get out of the game is going to be very different but this is just such a stripped down like experience like there's so little to this game i don't think the the designer even used whose name by the way is jct who <laughs> perhaps didn't want to put his or her uh full name on this game <laughs> um but that jct um didn't even need to use their 200 words I think this is a, to get that much wallop out of less than 200 words, I think is incredible. And also to, um, also the game is very well written and has an incredible economy of language. It uses, uh, one paragraph to tell Andrea's story. Well, technically two, two very short paragraphs to tell Andrea's story. One paragraph, one very short paragraph to frame the mechanical the mechanics which is really the interrogation and then two sentences 
with the wind conditions and that's it although honestly mm. i would have put a semicolon instead of a period between those two sentences and then had just one sentence for the wind condition but either way this is a really i thought incredible game i, I don't know what you guys if you guys have anything to say about this yeah Wait. like you said the uh the economy of language is definitely there the uh this is very easy to read this was one of the first uh ones I saw that just kind of flowed like language wise for me. Um, it flows, it flows very naturally, I guess, because it's just the description of a scenario. Um, plus, you know, the interrogation stuff and then the wind conditions. Now, one thing I really like about this is the, in the idea of it being an interrogation, I guess. Mm. Uh, that's a mechanic that I think isn't really used enough in games. Uh, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, we're going to get at these events that happened in the past through this kind of this device of interrogating the player. Uh, and we're going to basically make it up, wing it as we go here. <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I really like that. Yeah. And also an interrogation where the goal is exactly the same as in an actual interrogation, which is to break see, the other participant. See that it's that's one thing that's definitely, it definitely shines through is the, the way the mechanics overlap what would actually be happening in this situation, a situation like this, you know, a horrible human situation, but yeah. Um, Will, I don't want to, I know this game's a little um, on the uh, kind of disturbing side. <laughs> you feel free yeah. to push back if you want, but I, I mean, I did want to get like your thoughts on it. If you had any. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one that I read and like, Rudy was saying it, it was easy to read. Um, I mean, in a in a, a sort of literal sense, that's true. It, it flows very well, but I found it really hard to read. Really, yeah. it's a really uncomfortable mm. idea for an RPG, um, which is not necessarily to say that it's it's bad. But I think if if I were ever to play this, I I, I think I'd only play it with someone that I really really trusted. Yeah. Um, I, I can probably see myself of, of all the RPGs we've talked about. This is the one that I, I would probably least want want to play. It's just very, um, yeah, it's really sort of sets me on edge. This idea of, of yeah, this scenario is... that it's it's based on. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, if if people want to play it, then I'd say definitely. If, if you really sort of trust the other person, then right. you know you, you have a really sort of emotional uh, sort of really under the skin time with it. Yeah, uh, this is not a game I think most people would like bring to a convention with them. <laughs> you know, which is to say exactly what you're saying. This is a game that you're going to play with someone that you trust. This is a game you're going to play regardless of how you like want to get at that end game. This is a game that you would only play with someone you trust for one of two reasons. Either because it demands that you be emotionally vulnerable and most people don't want to be emotionally vulnerable with strangers for really good reasons uh, or because it's going to become an absolute comic shit show and you don't want to be making those kind of real like like the humor is going to get so black in an attempt right. to make the other player that that's not something you're going to want to be doing with someone who's a stranger because you don't know when you're going to like cross a line. 
So I think regard regardless, this is definitely like a game to play with a close friend or uh, a spouse, a significant other. Um, I wouldn't recommend like play it with your children, <laughs> no matter how close you may be with them. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you on that point. Uh, yeah. Any any last thoughts on Hushabai? I'd say if you, if you were playing it, I'd say absolutely you'd want some sort of uh, maybe red card, yellow card system, you know, when you're feeling, obviously, to some degree, that that cuts back on that, that end condition of, of, sort of being vulnerable enough to cry, but I think right. you definitely want some sort of system to say, you know, this is this is approaching, you know, something I'm really not, not comfortable with. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, just, just for your own own mental health. And, yeah, and, absolutely. That that would be a really tricky balance in play, I think, because on the one hand, you're trying to get the other person to cry, but on the other hand, like if this if you're playing with someone who you really trust, and assuming like you're playing with someone you really trust, they're probably also someone who's pretty important to you, so you don't necessarily want to like have them walk away from the gaming table feeling like actually honest to goodness broken, <laughs> you know? And so mm -hmm. that is a delicate thing, whether you would do it through something like a red card or an X card, or like, <laughs> I guess you could use a safe word since it's an interrogation okay. game. Yeah. Um, or whether you, I think you'd have that conversation before play, like, okay, are we going to a use something you have a like full stop like boom this is the x card you're done we're done like are you going to have something like a safe word or some kind of verbal cue that's like keep going but don't get like back away from this you know right. or are you going to say okay no holds barred we're gonna like i don't care but i think you need to have that conversation before playing this game or else um Unless you, you have that kind of intuitive understanding of the other person, mm. which is, I mean, I actually think as weird as it sounds, and this is going to sound very weird, this would be a great couples game. Mm. <laughs> like, mm. just because, like, this is a game that if you played it with your significant other, you'd have, assuming, like, your relationship isn't absolutely failing, you'd probably have that kind of intuitive understanding of what buttons you're you are allowed to push and what buttons you're mm. not allowed to push yeah um, and i think that kind of intuitive understanding might be even more important than having some kind of um in-game trigger to to halt play right. yeah. i mean i think obviously you'd need more words to communicate it but um like there's a lot of activities i guess that are uncomfortable and you know you know even just to use an example like intimate activities like you know bdsm and stuff like that are uncomfortable but they're acceptable uh i guess and you know normal you know that that's accepted and by and by society that people would do right. that but i think there's very few games that fit in that space of oh, acceptable. Huh. that's bdsm <laughs> games pretty, i mean well, besides I mean, not, actual fetish games you know which right is yeah of besides something actual, different entirely yeah, but I mean, it's like, um, 
I think it's important that games push towards stuff like that. You know, what is it, what exactly is acceptable to have those, so people can have those conversations about, you know, that. Yeah, I agree. And mm. I think that's a good point, unless Will wants to jump in here, a good point maybe to end that conversation on. Yeah, I, um, I'm a, I just wanted to add sure. the sort of, um, just add just one last point. Um, Another concept from from BDSM is obviously uh, aftercare and sort of mm. after you've done the game, obviously making sure that you can decompress and you know right. that that gets handled properly, uh, so you're not sort of left just feeling very raw and uh, sort of emotionally uh, through the ringer. Yeah, right. yeah, no, that's a really good point, and I think that. Um... Yeah, this is a game that will demand a conversation afterwards or demand yeah. like, I don't know, some kind of self-care shit afterwards. Like, And that might be something you want to establish before you start playing the game. Okay, like, what are we going to do after the game's over? Are we going to sit down and talk about this? Or are we going to immediately like go and watch a movie or go and sit down and like play like... I don't know, like Mario Tennis on the Switch and do something that's totally 100% opposite the experience we just had. And I could see different people doing, approaching it different ways and needing a different kind of release after something like that. Mm. So yeah, absolutely. Um, mm. Oh, Rudy, were you going to say something? or? Uh, no. Uh, so after we play this game, uh, William, <laughs> are we going to play Mario <laughs> Tennis afterwards? We... You know what? I'm going to be <laughs> honest. The the uh the experience of having you whoop my ass at mario tennis will be more upsetting <laughs> to me than playing this game so uh, maybe not <laughs> yeah. that's what we need we need to decompress after mario tennis there needs to be like a frank, <laughs> a frank conversation after each game of mario tennis about how you didn't you, did, you didn't mean to hurt me <laughs> um yeah okay great well uh, William, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up there. Uh, definitely anyone who's listening, uh, go on the 200-word RPG website. Check out um, Sidewalkia. Check out Dear Elizabeth. Check out hashtag Winter into Spring. Uh, Will, William, do you have um, like a blog or a game design website or anything? Uh, not at the moment. Um, I, I've got a couple of uh, sort, sort of abandoned blogs and things, uh, right. but, but but no link at the moment. Um, but but uh, yeah. Um. Oh, okay. Well, if you decide that you you have something that you'd like us to share on the um, on the podcast description, along with the other links, just send that along to me or to Rudy, and we'll make sure that goes up there. We're probably going to take couple days to edit the audio and hopefully get it up sometime next week well, thank you Great. for having me on uh, it's, it's been a really good uh, time to chat with you guys it's been really good yeah it's been yeah, a fun definitely. conversation thanks for, coming and thanks for making uh, Dear Elizabeth that was a wonderful game yeah I'm looking forward to playing it <laughs> yeah I don't know how it goes uh, excited to hear about yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah, I guess that concludes this episode of uh, episode one of the Misery Gaming podcast. Uh, once again, um, 
our website, Rudy and I, um, our website is miserytourism.com, all one word. You can find uh, Rudy's other five 200-word <laughs> RPG entries um, on the website. You can also find my entry as well, and also other weird games and fiction and strange um, projects that we've been working on. So, great. Well, I... Hope you enjoyed listening, and I think, uh, hell, I think that does it. Okay. <laughs>